Testing, testing. This morning's reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, good morning. My name is Adam, if we haven't met, and it's great to have you with us today. And, and to those of us who are joining, to those of you who are joining us online, it's great to have you as well. You know, we are in week three of a sermon series that we've titled Untangled, Making Sense of Our Emotions. I don't think I've talked about emotions as much in the last few weeks as I have in my entire life. I've had some really good conversations in the last few weeks with many of you, and I think it's been especially refreshing to talk about a topic that we don't often talk about, especially in church. And yet it's so important that we do talk about it because our emotions are one of the most influential areas of our lives. Now, if you've been around, you might remember that in week one, we talked about understanding our emotions the role that they play in our lives. Last week, we talked about engaging our emotions, how to handle them, how we are to bring them to God. This week, we're going to be talking about navigating emotions together. So far, we've really talked vertically about our relationship to God, but this week, we want to look horizontally to our relationships with one another. Now, the truth is, this isn't one of the easiest areas of our lives, is it? I think Linus from uh, Charlie Brown put it pretty well when he said, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. I mean, so many of our challenges, so many of our difficulties in life, they stem from our relationships with others. 
And yet at the same time, our relationships with other people are one of the most important and meaningful areas of our lives. And this is why it's so important for us to talk about how we navigate emotions in our relationships with one another. Now, the truth is, we all have relationships of some kind. You know, back in 1965, Simon and Garfunkel sang, I'm a rock, I'm an island. Now, with all due respect to Paul and Art, they were wrong back then, and they're still wrong today. Thank you, Mark. (laughs) No one's a rock, and no one's an island. Now, we might like to visit an island occasionally. We all need a bit of me time every now and then. But I don't think any of us would choose to live totally alone on an island forever. Now, if you've got a house full of small children, it might have some appeal. But I think we would end up looking a little bit like Tom Hanks from Castaway. We'd also probably end up talking to a volleyball. I mean, we were made for relationship. And there's a good reason for this. The Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. A God who is not solitary, but a God who is three in one. A God who exists in loving community. A loving community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because we've been made in the image of a God who exists in loving community, it tells us that we too have been made for loving community. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the Bible, you will read when God creates something, again and again, you'll read the phrase, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. And then you get to chapter 2, and for the very first time, we read that there's something that is not good. Verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. We were made for relationship, for connection, for community, for friendship. And this is why when we come to know God, when we come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, we do not remain on our own. We become part of a community. We are brought into and we belong to the church. And the church is not your average community. It's more than just a get-together. It's more than just a club. It's more even than just a service on a Sunday. The church is a deeply connected community of people. You know, the Bible uses a number of different images to describe the church. A bride, a building, a family. But there's one image that really highlights our need for one another, our interdependence. The Bible compares the church community to the human body. We actually see this in Romans 12, in in the passage that we read from a moment ago, just a few verses earlier in verses 4 and 5. This is what it says. For just as each of us has one body with many members, we've got one body with lots of different parts, eyes, ears, toes, hands, a philtrum, I bet you don't know what that is unless you've studied biology, the human body, lots of different parts. Yeah, you want to know now, don't you? That little um, spot right there underneath your nose. What's the right word? I forget. Indent. We'll go with that. Thank you, John. 
Good to have you here. <laughs> One body with many members, and these members, Paul goes on to say, do not have all the same function. They all do lots of different things. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, this imagery of the church being like a body, it teaches us a couple of important lessons. Firstly, it tells us that we all need help. We all need help. You know, our different body parts and systems, they all depend on each other. Our stomach depends upon our mouth to chew and our throat to swallow and our intestines to digest. Our eyes depend on our eyelashes to keep out debris. Our heart depends on our brain to tell it to pump blood. I mean, on and on we could go. Our different body parts and systems depend on each other. They need each other. They rely on each other to function properly. And it's the same in the body of Christ. We depend on each other. We rely on each other. We need each other. This is the same thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 when he also uses this imagery of the body. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We depend on each other. We need each other. We need help. But here's the thing. It's not that easy to ask for help, is it? We spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to hide our neediness, trying to avoid asking for help. We think it makes us look weak or dumb or incompetent. And I don't know about you, but I prefer to appear strong or, or at least competent. But as I heard a, a pastor say recently, you can be impressive or you can be known, but you cannot be both. You can be impressive or you can be known, but you cannot be both. Now, the good news is that our weakness and our neediness, they are valuable commodities in God's community. Do you know the very first thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that he preached to, to teach us about what it's like to live in God's kingdom? The very first thing he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who know they have nothing. Blessed are those who know they are needy. They are weak. They are vulnerable. Or as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, after talking about his thorn in the flesh, this unidentified illness or, or ailment, this hardship of some kind, which he had pleaded with God to take away from him. God responded to him, and I'm sure you know what he said. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In the kingdom of God, your greatest enemy is not your weakness. God can work with weakness. God specializes in weakness. In the kingdom of God, your greatest enemy is pride. Self-righteousness, it's self-sufficiency, it's blindness to your need. We all need help. 
This is why God has given us the promises of his word, saved us through the finished work of his son. He's poured out his spirit into our hearts and he's placed us in a community where we can receive the help that we need. So the image of the body teaches us that we all need help, but it also teaches us that we are all helpers. We are all helpers. You know, my kids are at an age at the moment where when I do anything around the house, mow the grass, pull the weeds, water the plants, whatever it is, they come to help. I suddenly have two helpers by my side. They pull out their little plastic mower or their plastic watering can. Now, to be honest, it takes me twice as long to do it with them. (laughs) But it brings them great joy to be able to help. And it teaches them an important lesson. That every member of the family is to contribute to the household. Knox, if you're listening, you're going to be mowing the grass one day, buddy. He's not well at the moment, so he's listening from home. (laughs) Now, this is true in God's household as well. Every member of the family has a role to play. Every part of the body is important and indispensable. Think about your own body for a moment. Imagine if your toes went on strike. Imagine if your neck decided it needed a holiday. Imagine if your hands decided they're going to start sleeping in until around midday every day. That's a ridiculous image, but I think you get the point. Every part of the body has a role to play. Every part of the body is indispensable, and I'm talking to you. Not the person sitting next to you. You. Every part of the body. We all have a role to play. We're all needy, and we're all needed. We all need help. And we're all helpers. I love the way Ed Welch puts it in his excellent book, Side by Side. He says, we were meant to walk side by side, an interdependent body of weak people. God is pleased to grow and change us through the help of people who have been recreated in Christ and empowered by the Spirit. That is how life in the church works. If we're going to grow into spiritual maturity, if we're going to walk in emotional health, if we are going to care for one another, we, we not only need to engage with God, pour out our hearts to God, we also need to belong to the church. We also need to receive the help that God gives us through his people, and we also need to offer the help that God calls us to offer. Now the question is, what does this look like practically? How can we both receive help and offer help to others? How can we create a community where we are all committed towards helping one another move towards spiritual maturity and emotional health? Well, to answer this question, or to begin to answer this question, because we can't cover everything today, I'd like us to turn to Romans chapter 12. These verses give us a stunning vision of Christian community. They give us a beautiful picture of how we can navigate our relationships with one another. Now, before we look at some of the details, let me give you some context quickly. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome around AD 57. And there are 16 chapters in this letter which basically divide into two sections. The first section, chapters 1 to 11, is deep, rich gospel doctrine. It's what God has done for us in Christ. If you've never read the book of Romans, you should read it sometime. It is stunning. But then you get to the second section, chapter 12, and there's a shift. Paul begins chapter 12 with the word, therefore. 
In other words, in light of everything I've just told you about what Christ has done for you, this is your response. This is how you should live. This is your response to God's grace to you in Jesus Christ. And you know, incredibly, almost all of the commands in this section are concerned with the way we relate to one another. In fact, in his commentary on Romans, John Stott titles this section, The Will of God for Changed Relationships. These verses show us what love looks like, what grace looks like in action. What healthy community looks like. How we can walk together with one another. Now, we're not going to work our way through this passage line by line. We're not going to touch on everything in this passage because there's just too much. But what I'd like us to do is to just focus on a few of the verses that will especially help us in our relationships with one another. That will especially help us to create a culture and a community where we can care for one another in real ways. So, I'd like to share with you three qualities from Romans 12 which we all need to cultivate to create a community of emotional health. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. It is sincerity. We must be willing to be vulnerable. Sincerity, we must be willing to be vulnerable. Paul says in verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. Now that word sincere literally means without hypocrisy, without a mask on. In other words, it means when we come to church, we don't pretend, we don't play games, we're not phony, we're honest, we're genuine. It means even though there's a stage in this building, we don't come here to perform. We come here to be real. Now, that's a bit scary, isn't it? It might also be a little bit foreign to us. But it's what God is calling us to. This is what 1 John chapter 1 says, a, a, a beautiful passage. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, that's God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, this is, I would love to unpack this passage more, but I just want to ask the question, what does it mean to, to walk in the light? Well, it doesn't mean to live a sinless life. Other passages in 1 John make that very clear. No, it means to walk in an honest relationship with Jesus and with one another. And the gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection, it creates the safety for us to be honest with one another. Because the gospel says to us, we are all sinners in need of a saviour. None of us have arrived at our final destination. None of us have attained a state of perfection. We're all works in progress, and this means none of us should be shocked when someone asks for help. When someone says they're struggling, when someone confesses sin. In other words, churches should feel a little bit more like the waiting room at a doctor's surgery rather than the waiting room at a job interview. Now, when you're at a job interview, you're trying to look your best. You're dressed up, you're hiding your weakness, you know, your only weakness is that you care too much. I mean, you are just projecting the very best. But when you go 
to the doctor's surgery, you don't really care about looking good. You just want to get better. And you assume that those around you are, are sick and in need of help as well. And the only way that you're going to get that help is to ask for it. You see, the first step towards creating an emotionally healthy community is sincerity. It's our willingness to be vulnerable, to be honest with one another. Now, this doesn't mean, it shouldn't mean that we're going to be honest with everyone. That, that would be unhealthy. It doesn't even probably mean that we're going to be honest with many people. But is there one or two people in your life who you can be vulnerable with, who you can share with about what's really going on, with whom you can be fully known and fully loved. It's what God is calling us to. So maybe who's this person for you? Maybe someone comes to mind immediately and, and that's wonderful. Maybe no one comes to mind. And, and maybe I'll ask the question then in a different way. Are, are you being that person for someone else? Are you a safe place where, where someone can be honest with? Are you investing in relationships in that kind of way? The first quality we need to, to cultivate an emotionally healthy community is sincerity. The second is this. It's empathy. Empathy. We must be willing to draw near. See, it's not enough for us to just open up with one another. We also need to draw near to one another, to enter into the experience of others, to live in their world, to walk in their shoes, to see from their perspective, to seek to understand, to not listen, just to respond, but to listen, to understand. Here's the way Paul puts it in verse 15 of Romans 12. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, we mourn with those who mourn. Now let's be honest, th this can be difficult. When someone is rejoicing, it's normally because something really good has happened for them. They got the job, the house, the, the baby, the, the, the relationship, whatever it is. And our temptation in that moment might be not to rejoice with them, but to be jealous of them. Or when someone is mourning, it's normally because something devastating has happened to them. And the temptation is to think, well, that's really sad, but, but I'm going to grieve from a distance. It's too hard for me to enter into the messiness of their mourning. I mean, whatever it might be, the temptation we face in community is to stand aloof from one another, to compete with one another, to compare to one another. But the gospel creates a new kind of community, a community where we draw near to one another, we cheer for one another, we cry with one another, we laugh with one another, we just sit with one another. And the reason we can do this is because this is what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 4 verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, in Jesus Christ, God has entered into our experience. God has walked in our shoes. God has felt what we feel. God has got down to eye level with us. And when you see God doing that for you, it moves you to do that for others. To draw near, to enter in. So to create a, a, a community of emotional health, we need sincerity. We need empathy. 
And thirdly and finally, we need humility. We must be willing to take the low place. You know, nothing oxygenates, enlivens our relationships like humility. And nothing sucks the life out of them quite like pride. Self-righteousness, self-importance, self-obsession, snobbery, arrogance, whatever it is. It kills relationships. This is why Paul says in verse 16, he says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now that last phrase, do not be conceited, it literally means do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not have an overly high view of yourself. Do not think that you have all the answers. Don't assume that you're always right and that everyone else is always wrong. Don't assume that your opinion matters more than someone else's or that your opinion is needed on every single matter. Take a low, take the low position. This is how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, in humility, verses 3 and 4, value others above yourselves. Very few words, incredibly hard to do. Not looking to your own interest, he says, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, how can we possibly do this? Because I've got to admit, when I get out of bed in the morning, I'm not naturally thinking about others. I'm thinking about me, myself, and I. So how do we do this? Paul goes on and he gives us the answer. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. I mean, the cross of Jesus is what destroys our pride. Because it tells us that we were so sinful that none other than the precious Son of God needed to die in our place on the cross. And yet it tells us that we were so loved that He willingly died in our place. And this melts our hearts and it kills our pride. Ray Ortland helps us to see what this looks like in practice. He says, humility listens. Humility cultivates courtesy and restraint in speech and manner. Humility looks for win-win outcomes. Humility watches the other person's back. Humility values self-awareness and is open to gentle correction. Humility esteems others highly and looks for their strengths and talks them up warmly and sincerely. Where gospel humility is, God is. You see, God has taken the low place, even gone to the cross for you and I so that we can do that for one another as well. And so these are some of the qualities that we need to to cultivate, to create a community where we can pursue spiritual maturity and emotional health. Sincerity, we must be willing to be open and honest. Empathy, we must be willing to draw near, to seek to understand. And humility, we must be willing to take the low place. And we pursue these things because this is what Christ has done for us. 
He became vulnerable for us. He drew near to us. And he took the lowest of low places on the cross for us. And we're now called by God and empowered by the Spirit to do those same things. So what's your next step? Maybe for you, it's you need to be open and honest with someone. You need to find a trusted believer who you can be real about what's going on in your heart and life. Maybe it's you, that you need to draw near to someone. You've been keeping your distance from someone because you don't want the emotional drain of entering in. And you need to enter in to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Maybe you need to confess to someone and repent of pride. Or you need to say to someone, I've been self-obsessed, self-important, and I'm sorry. Maybe those of us who are joining online, maybe you've never drawn into the church community, become part of the body. You've been watching online for a long time now. Maybe your next step is to draw near to the community. Or maybe you've drawn away and you've been online for the last little while and the next step is for you to come back. Whatever it might be, we all have a next step that we can take today that God is calling us to. And the perfect way for us to land today is to come together to the table for Lord's Supper. See, Lord's Supper symbolizes our unity with Jesus. The elements on the table represent what he has done for us to make us part of his body. The bread, which represents his body, given on the cross for you and me. And the cup, which represents his blood, spilled out for the forgiveness of our sin. But the Lord's Supper also symbolizes our unity together as God's people. We eat and we drink together. We are part of the body. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that reality. And so if you have turned from your sin, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you belong to his body, the church, then we invite you to come forward this morning to participate and to partake. And as we prepare our hearts to do, to do that, I'd like to read for us from Matthew 26, when Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, instituted this meal that we're about to participate in. It's what we read in Matthew 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you're in the building, then ushers will invite you from the back to the front to, to come forward. If you're online, we hope that you have the elements ready. And if you don't, you can use these next few moments to, to get them. But come, church, receive what Christ offers to us. And then we'll eat and drink together as the body of Christ. Come, church, when you're invited. <laughs>